Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, April 2nd. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, there was a lot of volatility in the gold market this week. We had another big sell-off midweek with the yellow metal dipping back below $1,700 an ounce. It's the same song and dance that we saw last week. Dollar strength and surging bond yields are undercutting gold. The 10-year Treasury yield eased back a bit yesterday after hitting a 14-month high earlier in the week. Meanwhile, the dollar also fell a bit yesterday after hitting a nearly three-year high during the first first quarter of this year. That put some wind back in gold sales yesterday, and the yellow metal finished at around $17.30 an ounce and is holding at that level this morning. Gold has basically been range-bound over the last few weeks, skipping back and forth over that $1,700 an ounce level. Now, it should come as no surprise that bond yields spiked midweek, given that we got the details of yet another massive government spending bill. I'm going to get into that here in a bit. This one includes some tax increases, but at the end of the day, Uncle Sam is going to have to borrow a bunch more money to fund all of this spending. That means more bonds in a market already flooded with bonds. So, you know, bond prices falling, not a surprise. I'm not going to go through it all again today because I've covered it ad nauseum on this podcast, but suffice to say, I just don't see how anybody thinks that the Fed is actually going to go into monetary tightening mode, ever. I don't care how good the economy gets or how much inflation heats up. Can you imagine if the Fed stopped buying treasuries, much less if it started actually selling them? This entire borrow and spend economy is predicated on cheap money. It won't work without the Fed backstopping it. So this notion that the Fed is suddenly going to tighten monetary policy in order to fight inflation, to me, is just a fantasy. And that's why I'm still bullish on gold and silver, despite the fact that we've had this range-bound period and and really the first quarter of this year, uh, one of the worst. I think it was the worst first quarter in about five years. Speaking of the Fed, here's your dose of utter BS for the week. The newest Fed governor, Christopher Waller, did his first public speech last Monday, and he's already mastered the art of Fed deception. He claimed that the Federal Reserve is not keeping monetary policy loose in order to enable the U.S. government to run big deficits. He said, my goal today is to To definitively put that narrative to rest, it's simply wrong. Monetary policy has not and will not be conducted for those purposes. Yeah, okay, you know what? I was an NHL goalie too. The whole notion of Fed independence is just silly. I know it's silly. You know it's silly. I'm sure Waller even knows it's silly. But nevertheless, the charade continues. And you know what else continues? Money printing. U.S. money supply growth hit another all-time high in February as the Fed continues to churn out dollars and inject them into the economy. But there's no inflation. Oh, wait, that's not the narrative now. Inflation is transitory. I guess at some point, all of those dollars are just going to evaporate into the same thin air that they came out of. 
At any rate, as measured by the true monetary supply measure, TMS, the money supply grew by 39.1% year-on-year in February. That was slightly up from January's record growth of 38.7%. February marked the 11th month of remarkably high money supply growth in the wake of unprecedented quantitative easing, central bank asset purchases, and various stimulus packages. Money growth also broke a record as measured by M2. By that more traditional measure, the money supply increased by 27.0%. That compares to January's growth rate of 25.9%. And for further comparison, M2 grew 6.8% during February of last year. So you can see just how unprecedented the money supply growth is right now. I should note here that an increase in the money supply is inflation by definition. Rising prices are just a symptom of inflation. With or without a rising CPI, we currently have inflation at unprecedented levels. Now, how this massive inflation ultimately impacts the economy remains to be seen. We've already seen it flowing into the stock market. Anybody who says there is no price inflation just needs to look around the corner and peer down Wall Street. But consumer prices are rising too. I mean, anybody who's been to the store or the gas station lately knows this, and I suspect they're going to keep rising. Now, you might say, Mike, you people were warning about hyperinflation in 2008, and all of that worked out just fine. Well, So far, I guess. But just because it was fine then doesn't mean it will be fine now. And as I often say, what cannot go on forever won't. And I'm still convinced conjuring trillions of dollars out of thin air and showering them into an economy isn't sustainable. I guess I could be wrong. We shall see. If you're interested in a deeper dive into some of the reasons we didn't see a big CPI jump in 2008 in the aftermath of the financial crisis, I wrote an article this week over at shiftgold.com news on that subject, uh, pulling some stuff from economist Bob Murphy. I'll link to that in the show notes page and you can check it out. Okay, so let's talk about the Biden infrastructure plan. I'm going to take a little different tactic in discussing this. I'm sure you've probably heard some of the details of the plan, so I'm not going to focus on that. And there are tax increases. Tax increases suck, so I'm not going to get all into that either. What I find fascinating about this is the underlying assumption that a bunch of politicians and bureaucrats know exactly how money needs to be spent, exactly what we need to spend money on, because that's the assumption here. They think the private sector can't get the job done, so they're going to tax resources from the private sector, and by tax I mean steal, and then they're going to use those resources and use them to build bridges and electric cars and stuff. Now, I admit bridges and electric cars may be good things, but are they the best things? Is that the best way to use the resources that we have? Well, by golly, Joe Biden thinks it's the best way, so I guess that's it. Of course, Joe Biden can't even get through a press conference without it devolving into incomprehensible word salad. And yet, this is the guy we trust to tell us how to best spend $2.25 trillion. This is the person that we trust to allocate scarce resources to their best use. Why? Why do we trust politicians? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. A lot of them aren't all that bright. 
Now, you know what politicians are universally good at? Getting people to vote for them. That's it. Now, how does that qualify them to run an economy? If you said it doesn't, you get an A-plus in today's class. Now, I'm not saying we don't need infrastructure. I'm not even saying we don't need electric cars. What I'm saying is that these government people don't know that. They don't know what we need. And if they're going to tie up $2.25 trillion worth of scarce resources in their spending scheme, it necessarily follows that those $2.25 trillion won't be available for anything else. Like all this Green New Deal stuff, let's just accept for a moment that man-made climate change is a thing and that we can actually do something about it. Now, I find this debatable, but for the sake of argument, let's just accept that. How do Joe Biden and his henchmen know exactly what technologies are the best to fund to deal with, with climate change? You know, How do they know that windmills or electric cars, how do they know there's not something else out there that would be better? They don't. This is the height of conceit. We know exactly the best way to allocate $2.25 trillion in resources. Look, dude, you're not that smart. We would do well at this time in history to consider the wisdom of Frederick Bastiat. In his famous essay, That Which is Seen and That What is Not Seen, the French economist emphasized the importance of looking for the unseen consequences of a given policy. He wrote, between a good and a bad economist, this constitutes the whole difference. The one takes account of the visible effect. The other takes account both of the effects which are seen and also of those which it is necessary to foresee. I'll let you in on another little secret. Joe Biden is a bad economist. He actually said his tax increases weren't intended to punish anybody. That's nice. They are meant to create opportunities for others. This sounds so warm and fuzzy, but it ignores the opportunities that are going to be taken away by the government policies. The problem is it's easy to point at the new job or the new bridge or the windmill that this spending bill will create. There is no way to point at the better job that was never created or the factory that was never built because ABC Company had to fund Biden's, quote, better opportunities. Think about it. Every dollar taken out of the private sector to fund the government's so-called opportunities is a dollar that could have been invested. It could have funded new plants or equipment, research and development. It could have created new jobs even better than the government jobs that the president promises. But Biden wants to take this money out of the private sector and have the government spend it. And that really leads us to the key question. Who is better qualified to decide how money is spent? How actual resources are allocated? Politicians, bureaucrats, central planners, and government officials? Or private sector actors driven by profit motive who are carefully analyzing prices to determine the best use for society's resources? There are only two ways to allocate two ways to allocate these scarce resources, right? Through politics, through the political process, or through free markets.
I can show you the wreckage of countless societies that tried the central planning government route that impoverished their people and utterly collapsed. Look at West Germany and East Germany. Look at the difference in those two cultures. I mean, West Germany certainly was no, uh, you know, bastion of true free markets, but it was way more free market than East Germany. Just look at the difference. I mean, we have the comparison. This is not even debatable. I will take free market over bureaucrat every single time. Now, I will readily admit that markets aren't perfect, but they have one hell of a lot better track record than the government. Everything the government does, everything it touches, turns to crap. Healthcare, education, roads. When the government gets involved, we get higher prices, we get waste, we get fraud, and we end up with crappy products. You know, these are the people that gave us the six-figure toilet seat and the gas can that won't pour gas. Imagine if government centrally planned the cell phone. We'd still be carrying them in a suitcase, and they'd cost about $5,000. I mean, stop and think about something here. All of this moaning and wailing about the need for infrastructure, who was in charge of that? The freaking government, that's who. The same people who let everything go to crap are now coming to the rescue. It reminds me of that Harry Brown quote that the government breaks your legs, hands you a crutch, and says, see, if it weren't for the government, you wouldn't be able to walk. So all of this to say that this spending plan isn't going to help the economy. It's going to hurt the economy. It's not stimulus. It's a ball and chain. And when all is said and done, it will be a net loss for the American people. Now, sadly, most people will never know it. They'll point at some new road or a shiny new electric car, and they'll declare it was all a big success. But we'll never know what amazing new developments never happened because Joe and his cronies went on a spending spree with our money. As I said earlier, what can't go on forever won't. And this borrowing and spending is unsustainable. Here's the question. Are you prepared for the consequences? Are you prepared for the economic fallout from all of this? If you want to get prepared, I highly recommend talking to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. You can do it today. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160 or shoot them an info, or an email, I'm sorry, at info at shiftgold.com. These guys are fantastic. They can help you look at precious metals, how it will fit into your portfolio and your personal investment goals and strategies. So give them a call or shoot them that email today. So that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes, uh, on the Shift Gold YouTube channel, Stitcher. Uh, you'll find links to all of these things on the show notes page. I really appreciate you listening to the show. Uh, if you're celebrating Easter this weekend, I hope you have a wonderful holiday. And again, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.